Hello and welcome to Connect Points podcast and sermon archives. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please go online to our website at connectpointupc.com or follow us on our Facebook page. Thank you very much and I hope you enjoy this week's message. God bless. Very much for that. I do uh, covet your prayers, obviously, um, because it is just a new thing, and the Lord's going to help us. Deuteronomy, the 32nd chapter. I feel the Spirit of the Lord in the house today. Yeah. Amen. I believe that God once again has honored his promise that when we come together in his name, he's there. I feel the love of God in this house, and I believe that God wants to speak to us today. This is what he has laid upon my heart. Amen. This week, Deuteronomy 32, and I just want to read one verse of scripture to get us started. We'll have plenty of scriptures throughout the message, 32 and 10. Here we find, speaking of the beginnings, if you would, of his relationship with Israel and all his people. He found him in a desert land and in the waste howling wilderness. He led him about, he instructed him, he kept him as the apple of his eye. Amen. He kept him as the apple of his eye. And that's what I want to preach about this morning with the help of the Lord. Find five people, give them a high five, tell them they sure look good in God's house. You may be seated. God bless you. Thank you for your worship. Right off the bat today, I want to kind of make a statement and then prove that a little bit. And it simply is this. The entire Bible matters. Everybody say it with me. The entire Bible matters. I don't say this as a universally understood and agreed upon truth today. I say this in an age where this simple statement is coming under attack way too often in our world. There's a man that you've maybe never heard of. His name is Marcion. He lived in a town in Turkey, Sinope. He is characterized as an early Christian theologian, if you Just do a quick Google search. Everybody understands that quick Google searches are not always the best way to get your answers, right? You have to dive a little bit deeper than the front page sometimes. But if you do a quick Google search, he is by some an early Christian theologian, but that is a complete mischaracterization from anyone who knows what his life was about and knows the Bible. He lived in 86 AD to 100 and. Uh, 60 AD in Turkey, and he decided that the Old Testament didn't matter. He came to a place in his uh, 
uh, his own personal thinking and ideology that the Old Testament wasn't really important. And he called the God of the Old Testament a demurge, a lesser deity that was only involved in the, in the creation of the earth, but was not in any way involved in what we would call the salvation of man. He tried to separate him out, if you will, uh, in fact, going as far as the saying that not only was he only the creator of everything, but he was ultimately the source of all evil. This is what happens when people get an idea. It's an interesting thing, uh, studying a little bit, most, uh, if not all, of his writings, which uh, he came up with a lot of stuff, and, and uh, he decided a lot of uh, things were right and a lot of things were wrong, but it is interesting to note that almost all of his writings did not ex uh, con continue to exist today, that most of them don't really even aren't found anywhere. There's just the idea. Amen. It started out as a bad idea. Still a bad idea. But because of his viewpoint and this idea that, that there, God was, uh, there was just a God that was involved in creation, which ultimately became the source of all evil, and then there was some other uh, influence that brought about the gospel, thus we would be forced to accept a plurality of gods that existed at different times, or we must reject the idea of an Old Testament God that is loving and kind in any way. We must reject the idea that the God who created the heavens and the earth could possibly have love or affection for humanity, that the God who spoke light and separated the light from the darkness and put the birds in the air and put the butterflies, uh, amen, flying around our heads really couldn't care less about us, that he really didn't have any love for us at all or any affection for us at all, but I'm reminded of Nehemiah recounting the Israelite exodus in the Old Testament, Nehemiah 9, where it says, but they and our fathers dealt proudly and hardened their necks and hearkened not to thy commandments and refused to obey, neither were mindful of thy wonders that thou didst among them. He says, you were God and everybody saw that you were God and you did miracles and wonders that proved that you were God, but still humanity was stiff-necked and rebellious and they turned on you and forgot about you and they hardened their necks and in their rebellion they appointed a captain to return to their bondage but uh, thou art a God ready to pardon gracious and merciful slow to anger and of great kindness and you forsook them not that's the God of the Old Testament that's the God of the Old Testament. That's not just the God of the New Testament. That's not just the God post-Calvary. That is the God of the Old Testament. And Marcion thought he had a good idea, but it was really dumb because it wasn't a biblical idea. I said it wasn't a biblical idea. It didn't have any reference or strength or foundation in the word of God. And he ended up discarding large amounts of the Bible, except for some of the writings of Paul. He liked Paul. I'm sure Paul was like, why did you like me, dude? Seriously. Leave me out of your nonsense. I mean, that's what he might have said. 
But thankfully, the early Christian church refuted his ridiculous notion. But there are, and this is why I even bring it up in 2022, there are people today that are trying to revive this type of thinking. There are people today, even in what would be called Christian churches, that are trying to revive an idea that the Old Testament really doesn't matter, and the words of the Old Testament don't matter, and even the God of the Old Testament doesn't matter. But I've come today to remind everybody that would listen to me that the God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. He's the one who was and is and will be to come. Oh, hallelujah. In the beginning, he was and he will always be. Never forget what God's word says about God. Malachi chapter 3 and 6. For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. He lets them know the reason why you're not dead is because I'm the Lord and I change not. I'm thankful that my God doesn't change. I'm thankful that my God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. Psalm 105, for the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. To all generations. Marcion and anyone who would believe like him today must not have read the Old Testament book of Isaiah in 40. It says, Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth. So we're talking about the one who created everything. He fainteth not, neither is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. He gives power to the faint and to them that have no might. He increases their strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary and the young men shall utterly fall, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk, and they will not faint. That's the God that I want to serve today. That's the God of the Bible. That's the God of the Old Testament and of the New. He can create the heavens and the earth and not even get a little bit tired. Oh, I said he can speak the world into existence and not even get a little bit tired. So I know you and I walked in here with our issues and our problems and our weights today. And we may be exhausted by this life. But you remember when you came in here, you came into the presence of the almighty God. And he's not even a little bit tired of dealing with us and helping us and encouraging us and lifting us up. Oh, hallelujah. His understanding is so vast that you can't even search it all out. That's the God that we serve. And even though he is that wise and he is that powerful and he is the only king that sits upon a heavenly throne, he still gives the power to the faint and he increases the strength of the weak. And in an age where the young people are even getting exhausted, he says, if they'll wait on the Lord, I will renew their strength. They don't have to fall. They don't have to stumble. They don't have to give up on life. If they'll just seek after the Lord I'm going to give them strength and when my strength comes into their life they're going to mount up with wings as it was eagles oh hallelujah run and not be weary walk and not faint oh hallelujah they'll have the ability to reach the finish line oh hallelujah anybody need some help reaching the finish line can't get there without the Lord can't get there without the Lord, the same Lord who created the heavens and the earth. That's how much he loves us. 
So we understand that there is a reason that we have the Old Testament. There are lots of reasons why we have the, whole, the Old Testament. It gives us history. It gives us order. It gives us context of how the Lord interacts with his people. Calvary. Somebody say Calvary. Calvary and the cross that our Savior bled and died on makes it possible for all people to become his people. Amen. 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 It made it possible for all people. Oh, I'm thankful for that today. Amen. I'm not of a, a Jewish heritage. I'm thankful today that Calvary made it possible for all people to become his people. Amen. The Israelites were the apple of his eye in the Old Testament. But you have to understand that before Israel was a nation, they were a people. And before they were a people, they were a person. And before that person's name was changed by God to Israel, his name was Jacob. Amen. And speaking of Jacob, we read our text today in 32 and 10 of Deuteronomy. Speaking of Jacob, who would be renamed Israel, who would become a people, who would become a nation, who were the apple of his eye. It says he found him in a desert land and in the waste howling wilderness. He led him about, he instructed him, and he kept him as the apple of his eye. Oh, hallelujah. Jacob was a cheat and a liar who conned his own father and ran away. And God found him in what the Bible declares the waste howling wilderness. It's illustrative of a place with no food, no water, no sustenance, surrounding by howling ferocious beasts, wasting away and desperately needing to be saved. That is where the Bible says God found Jacob. This is how it looked at the beginning. This is how Israel looked at the beginning. But God made them, made him and them the apple of his eye. Means he took great concern for him, loved him, protected him. This phrase, the apple of his eye, is found a few times in Scripture. It's a, it's a cool statement. It's a powerful statement. It speaks of the concern, the love. There's the idea of the innermost center part of the eye, the part that needs the most protection. It's the part of your eye that when something comes flying at your eye, it's the part that your brain says, It's the part that your brain says, if you're going to work around shards of sheet metal, put safety glasses on. Right? It's that important, necessary part. There's also illustrative the, the idea of the reflection of what you are looking at is reflected there in the eye. The focus then, the thing that your eye is upon, becomes reflected in the apple 
of your eye. It speaks of love, concern. It speaks of a God who cares about us. He wants to help us. He wants to protect us. He wants to guide us. He said, I found Jacob in the waste howling wilderness, but he became the apple of my eye. He said, how did he do this? The Bible tells us how he did it. It says he instructed him. He instructed him. He instructed him in who God was. He instructed him in how to worship the one true God. He instructed him on how to live and how to raise a family and how to survive and even thrive in this life. He directed him on how to walk and how to talk and how to be a person in the world. This is an Old Testament lesson that still applies to us today, and thankfully so, because it wasn't only people back then that found themselves in desperation. I'm glad that the Old Testament God who found Jacob in the waste-howling wilderness uh, didn't give up on that kind of thing. I'm glad that he didn't quit doing that kind of stuff. I'm glad that he didn't quit caring about people that much. I'm glad that even though the Bible calls them a stiff-necked people who refuse oftentimes to humble themselves and submit themselves to God, his mercy kept reaching out to them. His love kept reaching out to them. And there were times of chastisement. And there were times of correction. And there were times of judgment and rebuke. But there were also times of mercy. There were also times of protection. And there were also times when he picked them up in his loving arms and said, I know, I know, but I'm here to help you again. I'm here to get you out of the pit again. I'm here to clean you up again. I'm glad that I've got a God who sits upon the throne of heaven who knows that there weren't just desperate people in the Old Testament, but there's still desperate people right now today. There weren't just people needing a miracle and deliverance and direction back then, but we still need it today oh hallelujah I wish if you needed that kind of God in your life you'd clap your hands and just let him know that I need that kind of God in my life oh hallelujah and when God became flesh the Bible says and dwelt among us and we beheld him oh hallelujah we beheld the Lord Jesus Christ, God in flesh. We watched his life. He died upon a cross and gave himself for us. When my sins and my iniquities were upon him, oh hallelujah, he who was sinless and guiltless took upon himself uh, my sins and my iniquities and the chastisement of my peace was upon him. Amen. Because he loved me. Hallelujah. He first loved us. And that God that loved us first uh, robed himself in flesh and dwelt among us and died on the cross uh, for the reason specifically uh, to make it possible for us to become the apple of his eye. Oh, hallelujah. For us to become the apple of his eye. We still need to be directed Instructed, protected, provided for. And so we have 
Old Testament principles of God that still guide us today. Everybody say principles of God that still guide us today. Things like Deuteronomy 7 and 1. When the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land whither thou goest to possess it, and hast cast out many nations before thee, the Hittite people, the Girgashite people, the Amorite people, the Canaanite people, the Perizzite people, the Hivite, the Jebusites, they got a little less creative on the ends of their names. Seven nations, great nations greater and mightier than thou. Deuteronomy 7 and 1 shows us some principles of God. He says, if you'll allow him to, God will direct you into a future that he already has prepared for you. If you'll allow him, he'll direct you into places like he said unto them, where there's going to be houses you didn't build and vineyards you didn't plant. He's going to direct you into some places that he has already prepared for you. But he wants you to know you're going to face some battles before you see it come to pass. Oh, hallelujah. I'm thankful for an honest God. Wouldn't it be horrible if God was dishonest? <laughs> but God is not a man. He is not like us. He says, I can bring you into some places that I've already prepared for you. I've got some plans for you. I've been setting things up. I got all these plans and all these ideas that I'm going to do with your life, but I need you to understand something. I'm going to direct you, and I'm telling you it's going to work out, but you're going to have to fight for some things. You're going to have to show me that you really want it. You're going to have to show me that you're not all just about the handout and the freebie. Oh, hallelujah. I'm declaring to someone today that Christianity has never, from its beginning, and it never will be, just the easy, sit on the couch and do nothing, live your life lazy and sinful, and everybody just gets to go. It's never been that from the very beginning. Jesus said, if you're going to be my disciple, you got to take up your cross and follow me. Paul said, I got to die daily. I got to let this flesh be crucified with Christ so that I can live. Oh, hallelujah. And the Bible lets us know that we're going to have to stand up and say, Lord, I want it bad enough to fight for it. I want it bad enough to pray for it. I want it bad enough to go run into an altar for it. I want it bad enough to let some stuff go in my life and disconnect myself from some nonsense so that I can get what God has for me. Oh, hallelujah. He says, seven nations greater and mightier than thou. I want you to hear this preacher today. You're not going to understand how you can overcome some things. Amen. You're not going to understand at the beginning how it's possible that your life could change so drastically. 
It's not going to make sense to you. You're not going to see the possibility of victory in some places in your life. Uh, you're going to think of some things uh, are just been around too long. Uh, and some things uh, I've just battled with too long. Uh, and some things uh, the mountain is just too big in front of me. Uh, but you got to remember you are not alone uh, nor operating on your own behalf. Uh, you are now someone uh, who is the apple of his eye. Uh, he is now looking at you and saying, I'm ready to protect you. I'm ready to deliver you. I'm ready to provide for you. I'm ready to be victorious on your behalf. Oh, hallelujah. Deuteronomy 7 and 2 continues. And when the Lord thy God shall deliver them before thee, Thou shalt smite them and utterly destroy them. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor show mercy unto them. He says, you will fight for your future, but I will give you the victory. Oh, hallelujah. Can I tell you something? It's a whole different thing to step out onto the battlefield when you already know you're going to win. Oh, hallelujah. It's a whole different thing. Amen. We love the story of David and Goliath, and we should. It's cool on a lot of levels. Kids get it. Amen. Adults get it. Elders get it. We should love it. But don't forget that David said, I believe that there is a reason why I'm here. He said, I don't need your sword, and I don't need your armor, and I don't need all that stuff. I got everything I need. And then the Bible specifically says that he went running. He went running to towards where the giant was and you come to me with sword and shield but I come to you in the name of the Lord. Amen. David wasn't afraid because David already had some promises of God that he wasn't going to lose that he was going to be victorious. You may have a giant standing in front of you but you need to grab a hold of the reality that you got a God standing behind you and that God that stands behind you is already telling you that if you'll fight you're going to win if you'll care enough if you'll do something if you'll step up and show some faith you will be victorious amen you're going to be victorious if you'll give God a chance if you'll take a step of faith if you'll rise up to fight for your future God will bring the victory and you won't ever be able you'll never be able to say this is the beauty of it all You'll never be able to say you did it without the Lord. Oh, hallelujah. My God. I know people have really fought and won some battles when they give God glory. When they take the credit and they're all prideful and it's all about them and look what I did and look what I accomplished and look what I was able to do with my life, uh, really, they probably haven't even fought, uh, amen, any real serious battles in their life. Uh, but when you find people that are giving God glory and saying, if it wasn't for the grace of God, I wouldn't even be here today. I've gone through some stuff. I don't even look like what I've gone through, uh, but the Lord was with me and the Lord kept me and the Lord protected me. Oh, I wish somebody would give God God some praise today if you know you're only here because the goodness of God was fighting for you. But when, he says, you get that first victory, you make sure you go all the way. 
Oh, hallelujah. You make sure you go all the way. Those devils you've been battling for years, those trials and temptations that have kept you down and out and kept you from enjoying the things that God designed for your life and and God provided for your life. Uh, Don't stop short, the Bible says in Deuteronomy 7 and 2. He says, don't stop short of utterly destroying them. Don't make any covenants, he says, with them. He's talking about making agreements. He's talking about making compromises. He says, when you go in and you, 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 you have victory over a people, you understand when you read throughout the battles of the Old Testament and how they did them, so, some of them they were so miraculous and God did some crazy stuff that it wasn't like everybody was just automatically uh, uh, destroyed in the, on the outset. There was always a, a remnant or whatever and God is making a specific point here about some of these battles uh, that we face in our life. Uh, he says, when you rise up in faith uh, and you're willing to go after it I'm going to give you the victory but when I give you the victory and you start marching forward uh, then don't you go in there and start compromising with them don't you go in there and start negotiating with them don't you go in there and say well I guess it's all right if you hang around my life a little bit I'm going to get rid of 80% of you but 20% of you can hang around God says don't you do that you utterly destroy it you go all the way and you show no mercy that devil's been fighting you your whole life Uh, that devil has nothing uh, nothing but destruction in mind for you that devil has nothing but putting you in the grave and ending your life in hell for eternity don't you stop short of utterly destroying them oh hallelujah if I'm your pastor today hear me and if I'm just your preacher today you take it for whatever you want but one of the reasons why people continually struggle is because they don't utterly destroy. It's because they make compromises. It's because they think, well, I went to that church and I went up and prayed and God did a miracle in my life and I feel better than I've ever felt. And then they go home that next week and God's such saying, you see that thing over there? That needs to be destroyed. You see that thing over there? That needs to be destroyed. You see this thing and that thing and that relationship and that nonsense? That needs to be destroyed. And they say, well, maybe not all of it. I mean, maybe it's okay if I leave a little bit. Maybe if I just cut back some. God didn't give you a miracle for you to just cut back some. Oh, hallelujah. If you're battling with addictions in your life, I believe and you are surrounded by people that can testify that God can miraculously deliver you from any addiction that you've had in your life and you can go forth and never battle with again unless you make a compromise. Unless you decide that maybe a little bit. I mean, I'm better than I was. I mean, let's just put all miracles in the same boat for a second. If you were blind and God miraculously restored your vision, would you go home and say, well, I don't need 2020. 
I mean, I didn't have anything yesterday. So, I mean, it's all right. If he just wants, I mean, just seeing some fuzzy shapes, I'm good. Would anybody want to go back? No. Well, then see this clearly today. God says a principle. It's a principle. It really happened in the Old Testament. It's a principle for us now. He says, when I give you the victory and I bring you into that place, don't you make a compromise. Don't you negotiate a settlement. Uh, don't you say, well, I'll let some of it hang around because it makes me feel good when I'm not at church. Uh, you utterly destroy it and show the Bible says no mercy. Oh, hallelujah. And then God shows that he is about more than just us. Is everybody all right today? We're all good? Then God shows that he's about more than just us. But he cares about our children and our children's children. He cares about generations. Deuteronomy 7, 3 and 4, we continue now. Neither shalt thou make marriages with them. Thy daughter shalt thou shalt not give unto his son, nor his daughter shalt thou not take unto thy son. For they will turn away thy son from following me, that they may serve other gods. So will the anger of the Lord be kindled against you and destroy them suddenly. Remember what he said about finding Jacob in the waste howling wilderness? What did he do? He instructed him. Instruction. How many know instruction isn't always the most pleasant thing in the world? It's not always the most pleasant thing in the world. We have to learn things. They're necessary for us to learn them. And instruction can be difficult. And it can sting a little bit. And the Lord says to them, look, uh, I'm going to bring you. I've been preparing this for a long time. You're the apple of my eye. And I've been preparing this future for you. Uh, I want you to see things and live things and experience things uh, that you never thought were possible when you were out there in the waste-howling wilderness. Uh, and you were just dying uh, to find just a little drip of water. And they meant a little morsel of food. Uh, and the beasts were howling all around you. But I picked you up and I'm instructing you and he said I'm telling you there's victory ahead and I'm going to fight your battles for you and then when you get in there don't you negotiate but I want you to understand something else you need to teach your children there are some things we don't even touch there are some things we don't even look at there are some places that we don't even go you say well why is it that important it is if you don't want your children to go through what you went through it is if you don't want your children to ever find out what a waste howling wilderness feels like if you would like like that to stop with you sir if you would like it to stop with you ma'am then you need to instruct your children to make sure they stay focused on God Amen. when you are delivered from the wasteland your children can grow up in the promised land They don't have to wander through desolate places. They don't have to live surrounded by howling ferocious beasts. But he says you've got to instruct them. Because if they get their eyes on these other things. And you allow them. Now I understand. We don't control our children forever. And frankly, part of that is awesome. 
there is something that feels a little bit good about looking at your adult son and saying, yeah, you're going to have to figure that out. <laughs> have at it. <laughs> but until that point, he says, you got to be careful about what you let them connect themselves to. It's a principle. It's a principle. In there, he was specifically talking. This was real marriage. He was saying, don't let them marry into people that are worshiping idols and going after false gods. That was a real thing for them. And man, but it's a principle for us today. Don't let your children, keep your children, give them instruction so that their eyes will focus on the one true God. And so they'll look for the connections in their life and the relationships in their life to also be people who are focused on the one true God so that they don't get themselves connected to the wrong thing. Hallelujah. And then it tells us, tells them what to do in Deuteronomy 7 and 5. But thus shall you deal with them. Speaking of, look at it now. You shall destroy their altars Break down their images, cut down their groves, and burn their graven images with fire. This verse is all about what we worship. It's all about what we worship. It is saying that once you encounter a God that loves you so much that he'll pluck you out of a waste-howling wilderness and instruct you into a land of promise and blessing and even your children and your children's children. Once you find a God who loves you that much than all the other things that are calling for your worship and your family's worship. They need to be destroyed. They need to be broken down. They need to be cut down. They need to be burned. That is the word of the Lord. Your life is no longer going to be the same and your children's life is no longer destined for despair. So don't forget the God who got you there. Don't forget the God who made it come to pass. Don't forget the God who saw us. We're forgetting God too much. Oh, I know I'm doing a little more pastoring today than I normally do on a Sunday morning. And if you're just a guest here today or whatever, I'm just preaching to you and you take what you want. But we're forgetting God too much. Everything is going horrible. I need God. Everything's going good. I'm all right. At some point, at least, at least at some point, acknowledge the cycle. 
at least some point acknowledge the cycle that when you think you got it all figured out, you forget God and then you realize you don't have it all figured out. And so then you go back to God and he helps you and loves you and says, I want you to be the apple of my eye. I want to instruct you and protect you and bless you and give you things that you never thought were possible. But then uh, when everything's going good again, uh, you find yourself uh, walking away, uh, not showing up, not praying, not opening the Bible not going to church not giving God worship and your eyes are over here and your eyes are over there and then all of a sudden you're wondering why everything's falling apart again can we at least acknowledge that we are the ones that got on the roller coaster in the first place you don't have to live your life on a spiritual roller coaster there is a God who is consistent who changes not and he wants us to be his children oh hallelujah So he says, when you go in there, you're going to find their idols and their graven images and their groves. These were the the places of worship, their high places. These are places of worship of their false gods, their man-made gods, the things that they carved and built with their own hands that had eyes that couldn't see and ears that couldn't hear and a mouth that couldn't speak. He says, you're going to go in there and you're going to see these things set up. But when you see them, you're going to cut them down and you're going to break them apart and you're going to burn them with fire because you're going to make a declaration when you walk into your new land of promise that we got here through God and we're going to stay here through God and there is only one God hallelujah that we're going to worship and that's the God that found us and loved us and brought us through oh hallelujah the God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament and after Calvary and after Jesus went back into heaven he did a miracle on the day of Pentecost in the book of Acts that you can read anytime you want. People were filled with the Spirit of God and he empowered them to live lives, oh hallelujah, that were free, that were strong, and that worshiped him and him alone. And on that day, there were people that were curious and desirous and some desperate and longing who asked a simple question, wanting to know how to receive all that God has promised, that God had promised was possible. How do we receive the fullness of what we've always heard about? How do we encounter the God, the Messiah that we've longed for? How do, what do we need to do? Oh, hallelujah. How do we need to live our lives? And in Acts chapter 2 and verse 37, a disciple speaks up and the Bible says, now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and they said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what are we doing? What are we supposed to do? Tell us what to do. We believe in the God that you're preaching about. We believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the God of David. We believe that you have just declared to us that God robed himself in flesh and that we witnessed him. In fact, we crucified him. But he rose again on the third day. And now we're beginning to realize we made a big mistake and that God was with us. So what do we need to do? What shall we do? And Peter looks at them and he says in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, 
And Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. If you were here during the first song today, as we were worshiping God and starting this day off with celebration and glory to the God who allowed us to be here one more time. We took a moment and put some pictures on the screen of those that have been baptized recently. And we, if you looked closely at those pictures, nobody has to tell you that a life-changing moment was happening when they were coming up out of that watery grave of baptism because the look on their face says it all. Repent. Acknowledge that we're all sinners. And we need a God who loves us enough to forgive us and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. You receive power to be a witness of a God-changed life. That's what you should do, he says. But I want you to notice as I close. Look at what he says next. 39 and 41. For the promise, this promise, it's just a promise to you right now because you're going to have to step up. You're going to have to show some faith. You're going to have to want this. You're going to have to invite God into your life. He's not just going to overwhelm you. He's not just going to overcome you. He's not going to pick you up out of your seat and throw you in this altar. He's not going to make us repent. He's not going to make us love him. But if we'll move forward, he's saying, I've already got a promise for you. You're going to receive power after that. The Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you're going to be a witness of a God-changed life. But I want you to know something else. The promise is unto you, but it's also unto your children. And also all of them that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And then he says, with many other words, he testifies and he exhorts them. He says, save yourselves from this untoward generation. Save yourselves from this rebellious and sinful and stick-necked and prideful generation. Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Do what God is asking you to do. Repent. Be baptized in his name. Receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. March forward into the promise that God has for you. Then they that gladly received his word. That's the key. They gladly received the word. They didn't say, well, I don't know about that. They didn't say, well, I read about this guy, Marcion, and the God of the Old Testament was a source of all evil. They didn't say, well, maybe I don't really want they gladly received his word. Those that did that were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about a thousand souls. Three thousand souls. Three thousand souls in one day said yes. Yes. 
to a God who found me in the waste-telling wilderness. Yes, to a God who loves me enough to instruct me. Yes, to a God who says, I've already given you the victory, but you're going to have to show. You're going to have to stand up and let me know that you want it. Yes, to a God who says, utterly destroy it. Be free from completely. Yes, to a God who says, I can change your tree. The family tree and lineage doesn't have to look like it's always looked. Yes, to a God who says, I'll provide for you and protect you and bless you and keep you and I will be your God and you will be my children the apple of his eye stand with me if you would today please he's already paid the price he's already made the way for us to become the apple of his eye The question is, what shall we do? Because God is ready and waiting on us. Today, you are in an apostolic Pentecostal church. We believe in the biblical doctrines, the apostles' doctrines that can be found in the scripture. We believe in the Pentecostal experience that I just talked to you about that took place in the book of Acts and where the church that Jesus said was a church was started. And in an apostolic Pentecostal church, the most important thing that you and I are ever going to do is respond to God and let him speak to us. And so we intentionally leave the front open. This is our altar area, all of this space up here is our altar area and we invite people to step out from where they are and come forward and pray nobody's going to force you to do anything nobody's going to ask you any probing questions somebody may come and stand beside you and pray with you but you don't have to worry about anything you're in a safe place today But God wants to meet us here. And he wants to help us right now. Before we come, can we just lift our hands and lift our voices in prayer? I need some prayer warriors to lift their voices and begin to pray right now. Thank you for listening to our podcast this week. We hope you enjoyed this message. Remember, if you would like to find out more information about our church or to contact us, please go online at connectpointupc.com. And also, don't forget to subscribe in your podcast app so you will be automatically notified of new episodes. Thank you, and we hope you have a great week.